I'm glad to be a part of a body that still believes and proclaims those things. Turn in your Bible to Genesis 26, starting in verse 15. Genesis 26, 15 through 33. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Of course, that's what will be on the screen. Also, what's uh, on the back of your pews. And uh, when we get there, say hallelujah. Hmm. I was up from two to three people then that responded to that. Amen. Genesis 26, 15 through 33. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the names which his father had called them. And also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called the name of its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord, and he pinched his tent, uh, tent there, and, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from uh, Gerar with Ahusa, one of his friends, and Philcol, the commander of his army, and Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. That you will do us no harm since we have not troubled you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank, and then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. I want to preach tonight on the subject, a deep subject, for shallow times, a deep subject for shallow times. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to touch us tonight. Lord, we need to hear from you, and we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Ghost of God, to operate in and through your word, not just through the speaker, but through the hearer as well. And let it, Lord, not just fall on our ears. Let it become engrafted in our hearts, that it would change us, Lord. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, amen and amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. 
we have been the recipients of a great legacy, a great heritage at West Ward Church of God. This year we are celebrating our 80th anniversary as a church, 1939. As I understand it, I think we started in a tent revival. In fact, the story that I heard is that the power of God was so strong in that tent revival and the worship was so loud that the police were called and came and asked them to quit shouting and quit rejoicing so loud they were disturbing the peace. We have been given a great heritage and I think back over some of the great saints of God that I have known from West Ward Church of God. My affiliation with West Ward Church of God goes back a lot longer than my pastoring uh, goes. I, I remember way back, I think it was 1982, my brother Barry ran his first revival over in the old sanctuary lane. I think you were instrumental in getting him over here to run that youth revival. And uh, I also came to Boy Scouts here at, at West Ward and met such luminaries as Charlie Davis. <laughs> so I have a long affiliation and, and a lot of, of folks that are uh, here, even folks that are here have not been my friends for a long, long time, were dear to me long before I ever became their pastor. And then over the last 10 years to get to know so many people, many of whom have gone on to be with the Lord, and we're looking forward to seeing them again one day. Amen. But we have a great heritage right here at this church. And I think about in my own life what a heritage that I had. My great-grandfather on my mother's side went out in the woods and helped to uh, fell the trees that made the first uh, shingles that went on the first church of God in Homerville, Georgia. My, uh, my great-grandfather on Nana Peavy's side, uh, he was a, the Lord saved him out of a drunk and made a preacher out of him. And he was a, a preacher, and he went over to Poland, the pastor church over there. That's how my Nana and Papa met as, as little children. And then uh, he passed away very early in life. And later on, his wife, my great-grandmother, went back over and pastored that same church. And my, my grandparents got reacquainted and got married. Nana was an old maid by that time. I think she was 14. And they got, to, they got married. I mean, I've been given a great heritage. I'm fourth-generation Pentecostal. What a great heritage that we have. But it is the nature of things, and it is the nature of time to cover up things. And if you don't believe that, just go look up under your bed and see if it's not the nature of things to, to uh, cover up. Dust and silt and soot and all of that has a tendency to cover. I love that old story about the little boy, you know, that uh, came home from Sunday school and he had learned from dust thou art and to dust thou shalt return. And he was playing uh, behind the couch at grandmother's house and he ran in there and said, Nana, 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 you got to come in here. I was playing behind the couch and somebody's either coming or going, one or the other. It's the nature of things to get covered up. That's why over in the Middle East, when they start digging uh, for, uh, for uh, you know, archaeological prizes, it's called an archaeological dig. That's they have to dig to get to it. Because civilization upon civilization was built over it. You go to the Holy Land and look, they'll show you 
one level where it was from the Byzantine Empire, one level from the Crusades, one level uh, from uh, the days of Jesus, a deeper level from the days of, of Solomon or the prophets. You have to dig. So it is the nature of time. It's the nature of things to get covered over. And I'll, I will have to say, I think in the, uh, in the life cycle of a church that's 80 years old, it's real easy for some things to get covered over. It's real easy to kind of lose some things in the dust. That's just the nature of time itself. But that's not what happened to Isaac. What happened to Isaac was there was an enemy that maliciously and intentionally came in and stopped up the wells. It wasn't just the sand blowing in uh, from the desert that did it. And I, I have to tell this, Nana Peavy years ago asked Crystal, she looked at her and said, Crystal, does dirt grow? And Crystal kind of looked at Nana like y'all looking at me. And she said, no, Nana, I don't, I don't think dirt grows. She said, well, tell me this then. She said, I can sweep my carport off and the next day there's dirt right back there. Now, where did that dirt come from? But it didn't, the wind just didn't blow dust and dirt and all of that in there and sand in there and covered over. Somebody had done it intentionally. And I can tell you that we have an enemy of our souls that has intentionally stuck in among the people of God and stopped up some of the wells that used to be flowing with life-giving water. Amen. There's some wells, I think, that we need to do like Isaac and his servants we need to redig some ancient wells. I'm so glad to hear that y'all were digging this morning in my absence. But there's some wells that have to be redug, and I guess you could fill in the blank. But some that occurred to me is one: there needs to be a well uh, of passion that needs to be redigged in our day. I know, I do know that there's more to church and more to God's work and more to God's spirit than emotions. I get that. And I understand that we walk by faith and not by our feelings. I know that. In fact, I will have to tell you, if I had gone by my feelings as of tonight, I would have been backslid 462 times. You talk about somebody stopping up your well. We got a bathroom back here in the back, the ladies' bathroom that's not working, and I discovered what the problem was. Somebody, instead of putting in the back of the toilet, uh, putting in uh, some, something to clean the toilet, they accidentally put soap in. So every time you flush the toilet, we got soap bubbling out of the back of the toilet. I don't think they did it intentionally, but that would be a pretty good prank if somebody wanted to do that at your house. It doesn't help the toilet, but we got one something kind of a washing machine back there in that bathroom right there. Things get filled in, and you can't go by your feelings, but I will tell you it's hard for you to accomplish and me to accomplish anything in life without a passion for it. And I don't know what's happened to our passion. We're living in a day where passions have cold. I remember Jesus saying, I wish you were cold or hot, 
but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. We've got to redig a well of passion where the things of God matter to us. I know people get tired during this time of year of me talking about the Georgia Bulldogs, but you know why I talk about them? Because I'm passionate about them. I, that's a passion of mine. It's, you know, it can't become an obsession, but I enjoy that, and I'm passionate about that. Daddy always told me, said, some of people love fishing. They're going to talk about fishing. If they love hunting, they're going to talk about hunting. And if somebody loves Jesus, you're not going to be around them very long before the topic turns to Jesus because there's a passion there. We've got to be passionate about God and about the things of God. And our forefathers got to where we are because they were passionate people that loved a compassionate God. And we've got to redig the will of passion. If you believe that, uh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And we need to redig a well of praise. I was blessed by your praise tonight. We've got to redig a well of praise. I remember about 30 years ago when people first started, you know, kind of uh, praise courses had been around, but they just hadn't kind of trickled down to all the churches. When people first started singing praise courses, all of them had a Jewish beat. Anybody remember that? We all had to dance like David danced. And I, I saw some people, I don't think David danced that way, I'll be honest with you. But, but uh, the, the selling point, the theology, the philosophy behind it was this, that if, we, uh, if when we sing, let's don't just sing songs that talk about our experience and try to build us up. Let's turn our attention and sing songs that are songs of praise to God that are designed to bless the heart of God. That was the philosophy behind praise Songs is to bless the heart of God. And consequently, uh, we sung a lot of songs that were lifted right from the Psalms. I remember Billy Wilson telling me one time, he said, I, I was singing a, one of those praise courses. I didn't like it because it didn't rhyme. He said, it bothered me that it didn't rhyme. And he said, then I got looking at it. I realized it was scripture I was singing. And I was all right with it then. But I'm going to tell you, because of the heart of man, a change of style doesn't change the heart. And we still get back around, regardless of what kind of style we like, we still get around and say, well, I hope they sang that one. That really blesses me. Right? I heard a, a, a nationally known preacher say the other day, I'm a responsive preacher. If you don't talk, I'm not going to talk. Well, Lord of mercy, if I didn't preach when there wasn't an amen, I wouldn't have never preached another sermon. We don't have to wait for something to move us, something to motivate us. We can praise God for who he is and what he's done. And our forefathers that had wells scattered throughout this community did it because they were willing to praise God in good times and in bad. They were willing to praise him when the sun came up. They were willing to praise him when the sun went down. They were willing to praise him when a baby was born. They were uh, willing to praise him when a loved one was laid to rest. They were willing to praise him when the check came in. They were willing to praise him when the crops failed in every Everything, give thanks and praise the Lord, and we've got to get busy redigging a well of praise. And then there's, yeah, amen, give him a hand clap. And then there's a well of prayer that's got to be re real dug. That's where, that's where revival shuts off right there. We can shout about all that other, but we start talking about prayer. I know why we get quiet, because we all get under conviction. That's why we get quiet. If a pastor wanted to just wonder just how low of an attendance he could have on any given service. All he's got to do is announce, we're not going to have singing, we're not going to have preaching, we're going to have prayer. 
And you know what everybody hears when you call prayer meeting? Got the night off. Right? I can pray at home. Yeah, but do you? Coleman told us uh, the other day, we were talking about this subject, and Coleman told us the other day that when he was in state work, in one of the states that he was working, they decided to make their prayer conference a prayer conference, and all of the preachers were fussing about the fact that they were praying at prayer conference and not singing and preaching and doing all the other. And eventually, after a week of praying, they got sanctified and got over it. My brother Travis in his church, one of the biggest fights he's had in the eight or nine years he's been there is because he made Sunday night prayer meeting. You know why? Because that is a well that Satan desperately wants to keep stopped up. That's why he fights it. That's why he fights us in prayer. I'm not trying to condemn us about our lack of prayer. In fact, I have a Nike. I don't like Nike shoes because they're kind of liberal idiots, but I do have a Nike mentality about prayer. Just do it. And I've said this to you before, but I want you to understand prayer warriors don't pray because they're prayer warriors. They're prayer warriors because they pray. It's not just the elite. It's not just special people that are able to do it. It's a weapon in everybody's arsenal. It's a gift that God's given to everybody that we can call on the name of the Lord in the name of Jesus. And I stand here today because I was the recipient of prayers of people that called out to God for me. But I wonder what's going to happen when all of them are gone and I have to rely on my own prayers to keep me going. You ever thought about that? Our prayer warriors are leaving here one by one and somebody's going to have to get the shovel out and redig a well of prayer to Almighty God and unstop that well of prayer till the water flows. Amen. We need to redig the well of proclamation of the word proclamation of the word we need to have a passion and a desire and a hunger for the word of God you know a lot of people are getting their, get their theology from Christian music southern gospel music praise and worship music can I tell you there's a lot of wonderful songs out there but not all of them have good theology Can I tell you, you better not just depend on some of the people you see on TV preaching for your theology. But you've got the right and the privilege and the responsibility of digging in the Word of God. God restored to us. When's the last time that you opened this book and you were so hungry for the Word of God that it fed your spirit? When's the last time that the words jumped off the page? When's the last time you got excited and told somebody, let me tell you what I was reading today in the Word of God? And we need to, we need to stop devaluing the preaching of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God. I talked about redigging the well of praise, and I believe that with all of my heart. But let me tell you something. After your feet quit dancing, it's the Word of God that's going to help you walk out the Christian life and walk and live like you need to live. And not only does it need, do we need to value it getting proclaimed and do we need to read it, uh, but there was an old song that said, I'm glad when I heard you're getting into the Word, but is the Word getting into you? It needs to be engrafted in our hearts and become a part of us. And when it's engrafted in our hearts, we cannot help but to go out and share it. 
You remember what Psalm 133 said? It said, when the brethren dwell together in unity, it is like the anointing oil that came down the head of Aaron, down into his beard, down through his garments, and down and out the skirts of his garments. And those skirts of a garment, the word skirts is actually the word mouth. It's the word pay, mouth. The skirt of a garment is pay, a mouth. And the skirts are what touch the dust. And listen to me. You, when you leave here and you've heard the word of God taught and you've heard the word of God preached, when it becomes a part of you and you go out and you touch the dust, you touch humanity around you, that word that has been engrafted in your time of devotion, in your time of hearing the word of God proclaimed, that word becomes a part of you and it goes out and you share that in the way you live and the way you speak and the way you talk. We need to redig the well of proclamation. Josiah became king when he was eight years old. They had had to hide him out in the temple because his grandmother was trying to kill him because she wanted the throne. And so he had a heart for the temple. So after he began to grow, he decided we need to restore the temple. It's been lost to pagan worship. It's been neglected. We got to clean up the temple. We got to clean out uh, like we do every once in a while around here. We got to clean out uh, all of the storage facilities. Every once in a while in a church, you have to go into the baptistry and clean out the flowers so you can use the baptistry. And if the flowers have dust on them, that means you ain't been using the baptistry enough. Right? And so uh, you've got to clean it up. So he was restoring the temple. And one of the workmen, as they were restoring the temple, came across the book of the law. The word of God had been lost Buried, covered up, lost among all the junk in the temple. And the high priest brought it to Josiah. And whenever Josiah had him open it and read to him the words of the law, Josiah, even though he had a heart for God, said, you know what, I'm going to have to start ruling this country different. I'm going to have to start running my household different. I'm going to have to start living different because I've got the Word of God to change me. I'm telling you, we like newborn babes, like as Peter said, we ought to sincerely desire that milk of the Spirit. We need to rediscover the Word of God. And then finally, we need to rediscover and redig the well of purity. I said purity. Let me use an ugly word in the church today. Holiness. Now I know that it is difficult. As I said to a group of preachers the other day, I know it's difficult for us to separate what is Southern Protestant Pentecostal culture from what is a biblical standard for living. I, I understand that's, that's difficult sometimes for us to separate that. But I just got to tell you, when you can't tell the Christians from the sinners, the train's gone off the track. Something's wrong. I, I, I still believe that old analogy about the thing that, that waddles and quacks and has feathers is a duck. And I'm going to tell you, if you look like the world, smell like the world, Talk like the world. Act like the world. Chances are you're of the world. 
In fact, here's what 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, quoted the Old Testament, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and don't touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We've got to get back to living right. Living true, it matters how we live. We need to redig the well of purity. Well, you know what? That kind of message is an easy one to preach. It's easy to preach because it's easy to see what's wrong in the church. You don't have to be spiritual to point out the gaps. But the spiritual people don't just point out the gaps, they stand in them. And it's real easy when you're preaching to the choir to preach the need for the things because spiritually minded people can pick up on that. But that's not the end of the story. Isaac did redig the wells of Abraham and he did call them by the same names. But the Bible says after he did that, that Isaac's herdsmen went out and they dug a new well. And I'm going to tell you in your life, you can't just depend on the wells that have been dug. You've got to find a place to dig your own well. You've got to go through the price of making it personal. Every generation has to dig their own well. So they dug a well in the first place that they dug. The Philistines, Gerar was a Philistine city. Uh, the Philistines came and contended with them over that well. In fact, Isaac backed off but he, and let them have it, but he named the name of that well Essek because they quarreled with them, and Essek means strife or contention. And don't you think for one moment that the world's not conspiring against you to keep you from digging a well of living water. Circumstances will conspire against you. Responsibilities will conspire against you. If you're going to dig a well, you're going to have to fight to dig a well. So that well was a place of strife. In fact, here's what the scripture tells us that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That we should rejoice and be exceedingly glad when we're persecuted because so they persecuted the prophets of God before us. Don't be surprised when people contend with the well. So he backed off and he went to another spot and he dug another well. And they contended for that well. He named it Sitna, which means... Uh, opposition, even hatred. But I dug a little bit deeper and I found out that the root word of Sitna is Satan. And it's not just the world that's fighting us for our will. In fact, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against, against powers against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the raging powers of darkness of this present world. We're in a spiritual fight, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And Satan is going to fight you to dig a well. So Isaac and his herdsmen withdrew, and they went to another place, and they dug another well, and at that well, there was no quarrel. And they named the place of it Rehoboth. Because he said, the Lord has made room for us. 
just a sidebar, I don't want to take too long, chase too many rabbits, but when they were in Israel, the biblical name for Israel is actually a plural, plural name, it's the, or Egypt rather, it's a plural name, it's actually the Egypts. It's Mitzrayim, and it means the narrows because the way Egypt's laid out, it, it's, uh, it's in a huge wide valley between mountains. That's what allowed them to become a world powers because they were protected. And so when the children of Israel were in Egypt's bondage, they were in a narrow place. But God said, I'm going to take you out of a narrow place and I'm going to take you to a wide place, a broad place. And so when they went into Canaan's land 40 years later and they uh, sent spies into Jericho, there was a lady that let them hide out in her house. Now, I know she wasn't a lady at that point, but she became one. And her name was Rahab. You know what Rahab means? Broad. I don't know if that was descriptive of her size. <laughs> I don't know. I think she's the first broad recorded in literature. Amen. <laughs> but that was her name, so God brought them to a broad place. And it's the root of this word Rehoboth. That you were squeezed out at Essex. You were squeezed out uh, at, uh, at Sitna. But if you'll keep on digging. <laughs> if you'll keep on digging, you're going to find a place where God's made room for you. I remember working. I've shared this with some of you before. But I remember working at a youth camp when I was in my 20s. And... Uh, you know, the thing about working in youth camp when you're on staff, you're supposed to be there for the campers, not for your own needs. But at, at some times, you still have a need. And I went down, knelt in the altar, and I was praying, and there were other people that were rejoicing and other people that were getting blessed, and I was so dry. And I know you don't believe this. I know you can't believe this. But I couldn't even find the words to speak. It's time to rush me to the emergency room when I can't find the words to speak. I couldn't pray. I couldn't get anywhere. I was stymied. There was something that was fighting me for the well. And so in defeat, I got up from there and decided to go back to my chair and do like Isaac and say, I'm just going to back off and let him, let him have the will. But when I stood up, thought came to my mind, I believe it was from the Spirit of God, no, if you can't do anything else, Britt, you just stand there in the presence of God and just honor the presence of God if you're not even able to say a word. And so just by my stance there, the Lord helped me to dig a well. And all of a sudden, there was room for me. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to move and, and rush over my soul like warm honey. I'm going to tell you, I know there's times when you get down to pray, when you open the Word of God, and when you come into God's house, that it's a fight, 
all the way there. It's a battle all the time. You battle with your mind. You battle with condemnation. You battle with satanic powers, demonic powers. I know it's a battle, but listen to me, brother and sister. If you'll keep digging, you'll come across a fountain that God has made just for you, and he has room for you. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Oh, the Lord has made room for us. Well, I'm getting ready to close, which means we got another 30 minutes usually when preachers say that, but maybe not to this time. We were, <laughs> we were at a funeral the other day. That's exactly what it meant. Buddy. But after he built that well, he went and visited one more place, one more well. He went down to Beersheba. Beersheba is, is known in biblical terms for being the southernmost uh, parameter of their heritage of the Holy Land. Dan in the north, Beersheba in the south. From Dan to Beersheba, it's a, it's a saying that they mean all the way from the north to the south. And at Beersheba there was a whale. In fact, what the name Beersheba means, it actually means literally the well of the seven, which is God's number for perfection. But because of its connection to two covenants that were made there with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, it's known as the well of the oath. Abraham made there a covenant. With Abimelech. And then later, Isaac made a covenant with Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is a godless man, he's a Philistine king. Nothing about him typifies or, or is a um, points to in shadow to the Lord Jesus Christ except for his name. His name means, my father is the king. And after Isaac redug the wells of his father Abraham and called them by the same names and dug his own wells, he went back to an ancient well that was a well of the covenant with the son of the king. And I want you to know that there is one well. All of those others are important. But there is one well that we have to go back to time and again. It's a well that was, is the basis of our covenant with the Son of the King of Heaven. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is a fountain opened up in the house of David. There was a man by the name of William Copper. William Copper lived in England and he, he battled throughout his life severe depression. And he struggled. And I, I, know, I know that the Pentecostal in us likes to think that if somebody can get deliverance, they're never, they're never going to have any problem with that anymore. But how many of you has ever had to go back and get one more touch? Anybody besides me? 
And he struggled throughout his life, but he was such a gifted writer. Not just in, not just in Christianity, not just in hymns, but even the world looked at him as one of the pioneers of, of, uh, of uh, romantic literature. Not, not the sleazy stuff, but the higher ideals of romantic literature. And he wrote a hymn called, In Praise of the Fountain Open. You probably never heard that title, but you have heard the hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There is a fountain of the covenant. When he went back to that place, God spoke to Isaac and said, Isaac, that same covenant I made with your father Abraham, I'm making with you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be blessed. And your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tommy Barnett. Tommy Barnett, I guess if you were to make a list of the most successful pastors in the last 50 years and you were to make the top 10, I'd have to say Tommy Barnett would probably make that list. And if he wasn't on it, the eight of the 10 that were on there learned from him. He came from a great heritage. His dad was a pioneering pastor. His dad was doing things in his day that, that nobody had ever heard of. He was running buses, dozens of buses across town. He told his son Tommy, he said, Tommy, you know secret girl church. All you got to do is find a need and fill it. That's all you got to do. And Tommy went out and started growing today. That legacy continues in his son, Matthew Barnett, that has the great dream center out in Los Angeles where they took over the abandoned hospital and floor after floor after floor, shelter for abused women, a shelter for unwed mothers, on and on and on again. It's called the church that never sleeps. When Matthew went there, it was a church probably of about 20 or 30 people. Nobody wanted to go. Wrong side of town. Legacy. But when Tommy Barnett, when his daddy died, he said, oh God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? My mentor, my friend, my confidant, my father is dead. Who am I going to get advice to? Who am I going to get advice from? Who am I, who, who am, I going to share my problems with? Who am I going to call and talk over on Monday, Sunday service? Who going, who's going to help me grow my church? And the Lord spoke to him and said, Tommy, I'd like to be your friend. I'd like to be your confidant, and if you let me, I'd like to help you grow your church. And Tommy Barnett said, I was pastoring one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. 
and I was operating off of a second-hand relationship with God. The Bible says that when Isaac made that covenant at Beersheba and made the covenant, his own covenant with Abimelech, and when that got through, here came his shepherds, and they said, we've dug another well, and we've found water. And I'm going to tell you, every generation is going to have to dig their own well. I thank God for the wonderful, godly heritage of West Ward Church of God. And can I just be honest with you? Can I, I, I always get in trouble because I'm always too honest in the pulpit. But I said this to somebody just the other day. I don't want this great church to die on my watch. I don't want it to die on my watch. And yes, we can look back. I said this, I, I told Brother Spivey this the other day at a funeral. I leaned over and talked to Brother Spivey about because he and I share a lot of the same heritage. Know, know a lot of the same people from years past. And I leaned over and I said, Brother Spivey, I know that a lot of those people, our forefathers, didn't have a whole lot of education. But I would trade some that I have to have what they had. And yes, yes, we need to look back over our shoulder and we need to say, what wells have been stopped up that we can go back and unstop? But I'm going to tell you, just getting back where we were is not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to just get back where we were. He wants us to go into territory where there is no well and dig another well. Jeremiah, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, said to, uh, to Israel, to the house of Judah, he said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water and they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. As you know, a cistern is a big cavern in the earth that collects the rainwater. And let me tell you what a cistern is. A cistern collects the blessings of yesterday to try to satisfy the thirst of today. Let that sink in. Collect the blessings of yesterday, the rain of yesterday, to try to satisfy the thirst of today. We don't have to settle for cistern water. There's a fountain opened up in the house of David. There's a well that we can go through that's always bubbling and fresh. I want you to stand across this building. Thank you for your time tonight. I want you to look at me. Look at me.
How many is wanting to dig out a well? I want to dig out a well, don't you? Now, we all have our favorite well. But can I remind you of this one thing? It's never been about the well. It's always been about the water. You may go home, and to help dig you a well, you might do like I do when I'm at home. While I'm getting ready, I pull up YouTube, broadcast it up on my TV, and I listen to the Happy Goodmans and the Hensons. They help me dig a well. I get in Crystal's car, and I get in Cameron's car, and when I crank it up, what, they, what they've got on is they've got on contemporary Christian music or praise and worship because that helps them dig a well. I don't care what kind of well you dig. I'm just interested in striking water. Amen. How many wants the life-giving presence of God in your life, in your heart, and in this church? Come on from all over the building and let's dig together. Come on, come on, let's dig together. 